podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, September 13th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're normally geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. So UK expats wanting access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, whatever it is, a Liberty Shield VPN will get you there and keep that data safe. Does the same thing for Irish expats wanting RTE player or US expats who want to access things like HBO, American Netflix, whatever it is. LibertyShield.com is the place to go. There's a hardware package and a software package. And if you use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Do remember to check out the other podcasts on the EPL Index Network. So there is the EPL Roundtable, which you can find by searching EPL Roundtable on your favourite podcast provider. Um, There's also the Tad Predictable Show, hosted by Tadiwa, and you can find that on this feed. There should be one this week with games going ahead, so I'll update you once Tadiwa lets me know when that is coming out and who the guest is, etc., etc. The next EPL roundtable that comes out should be myself and Kev discussing the summer transfer window. So part one came out on this feed on Monday, no, Friday, Friday, and Kev will put the second part out in the next couple of days. Right, let's get down to business. We have Champions League football tonight. We should be having eight games. Instead, we have seven games. Um, Rangers versus Napoli was meant to be tonight. It's been moved to tomorrow at Rangers' request. So what do we have tonight? 5.45, we get two games. Victoria Plisson. Heavily beaten by Barcelona last week. They're at home to Inter Milan. Inter lost to Bayern Munich last week. Inter have not made the best of starts to the season. And there's a lot of discussion about whether or not 
Simone and Zaghi will stay in the job. Now, it's not like they've been terrible. In the league, they've won four of six, two defeats, um, and they're two points off the top. They do sit six, but they're only two points off the top. They beat Torino in the week. The issue for them is that they did lose to both Milan and Lazio, and the teams they've beaten domestically, Lecce, Spezia, Cremonese, and Torino, they're all teams that will likely finish in the bottom half of Serie A. So people are suggesting that perhaps this Inter team aren't capable of winning against good teams. And again, they did lose to to Bayern last week. So I can see the arguments. I think it's a decent Inter squad. I don't think it's as good as the one that Antonio Conte had built, but obviously they did lose Hakimi in particular, uh, a vital player. They had a bit of an odd summer. They brought in Onana on a free. They kept Gosens, who they'd had on a loan with an obligation to buy. They kept Joaquin Correa. I think that might have been a loan with an obligation or a loan with an option. If it was an option and they paid $25 million, I think that's a mistake. He's a good player. I just don't know that he fits with Inter Milan and this team. And They brought in Mkhitaryan on a free, who's a little bit past his best. They did bring in Lukaku and Aslani on loan. Aslani is a Albanian midfielder who's with Empoli, only 20, 20 or 21 years of age. They've got him in on a loan with an obligation to buy. Very, very talented, like high-end prospect. And Lukaku, obviously, everybody knows he's not fit at the moment. But once he gets fit, you'd imagine he will get back to scoring a lot of goals. Serie A does suit him. They brought in uh, a Serbi from Lazio on loan as well, just for some centre-back depth. But they had a strange summer in that Dumfries was constantly linked with moves away. De Vries was constantly linked with moves away. Skriniar was constantly linked with moves away. And obviously there was the Spurs um, pursuit of Bastoni as well. So perhaps some of that seeped through to the players and there's maybe a couple of players who have had their heads turned just a little bit by some of the speculation uh, but it is up to the manager to get them focused and get them playing well. Uh, because thus far, they haven't played particularly well. And they did lose some experienced players. I don't think they lost anybody other than um, Perisic. I don't think they lost anybody very important. Kolarov hadn't been good in a couple of years. Ranocchia hadn't been good in probably six years. Uh, Vecino hasn't been good in a few years. Vidal is years past his best. Alexis Sanchez is, is well past his best. But they're all very experienced players. And maybe the dressing room is just a little bit lacking in personality and leadership now. Didn't agree with the decision to loan out Stefano Sensi. Thought that was a, was a poor move. But other than that, I mean, it's largely the same team as last year. And last year they finished second. So you would expect them to be a little bit better. Tonight's a good opportunity for them to get a win. Uh, playing away in the Czech Republic against, you would have to say, one of the weaker teams in the competition. Now, I'm not sure where this game is actually to be played. Uh, it is at the Dusan Arena, which is the home ground 
of prison. It only holds about 11,000, so you'd imagine it would be quite compact, quite tight, and probably quite loud, despite only um, 11,700. need to go there and get a win because with Thomas Tuchel out there available and Pochettino out there available, you'd imagine Inter are possibly starting to look around. Uh, Sporting versus Tottenham is the other game at 5.45. Sporting have turned their season around in recent weeks. They'd started in an iffy fashion, but they have turned it around. Uh, at the weekend, they beat Porto Benense 4-0. Before that, they beat Sporting. Uh, they beat Eintracht Frankfurt 3-0 in their first Champions League game. And they beat Estoril 2-0 the week before that. They did suffer back-to-back defeats to Porto and Chavez. Now, losing to Porto is one thing. The defeat to Chavez, probably the worst result they've had in the tenure of Ruben Amorim. And I'm looking forward to this game because this is one of the best young managers in the game versus one of the best managers in the game. Conte, for me, is one of the elite four. Pep, Klopp, Conte, Simeone. I think those four are a level above everybody else. But Amorim, for me, might be the best of the younger managers. Like, when people talk about Nagelsmann and they talk about well I don't talk about him in this manner but some people do some people think Arteta belongs in that conversation and Xavi and others like that I think Amram is the best of all of those I think he's a better manager than Nagelsmann you look at his rise in management and it is meteoric to say the least so he starts out with a division three team Casapia, who are now in the in the Premier League, um, but he doesn't have the right license, so they have to let him go. He gets suspended from football for a year. He fights that suspension, gets it overturned. In the September, in the June, in the June, he takes the job as Sporting Brag. That was in the January of 2019. In the June of 2019. He takes the Sporting Braga B team job. That's his first, you know, big club responsible job. Casapi at the time were semi pro. Three months after taking the um, the Braga job, people are starting to talk about him. This is late September. The football he's playing with Braga's B team is really impressive. And there's a lot of talk that, you know, this is a guy to keep an eye on. This guy might get a a big job quite soon. Roll into December. And the Braga manager gets sacked. Now, he'd only taken over in the summer as well. Abel Ferreira, who's just won back-to-back Copa Libertadores and then got to the semi-final this year but got knocked out, has Palmieri's top of the Brazilian Serie A. He had left Braga in 2019, the summer, 
gone to PAOK in Greece for a year and then went to Palmieri's in 2020. So there was high expectations at the club. His replacement hadn't worked out. He gets sacked in the December. And Amram gets the job. So this is December 2019. He gets his first top flight job. Having only really been a manager once before and that ended in farce because of the license thing and then he was the manager of the reserve team there he lost 13 games not because it goes badly but quite the opposite he is outstanding from the off with Braga completely turns things around with them has them playing sensational football and in the March of that year sporting come knocking so we're less than a year after he gets given the Braga B job. We're about four months after he gets given the Braga first team job. Sporting, one of the three biggest clubs in Portugal, they come knocking. He ends the season well, lo loses the last, I think, two games or maybe lose one and draw one. But before that had gone eight, eight games without a defeat and six of them were wins to right the ship with Sporting. This is the summer of 2020 now. Pandemic. Sporting haven't won the Portuguese title since 2003. No, 2002. Excuse me, 2002. In 40 years, they'd only won two titles. They won it in 2000 and 2002. In those 40 years, there'd only been three years where either Benfica or Porto hadn't won the title. There was those two sporting titles, and Boa Vista won the title in between. Every other year since 1983 onwards, inclusive of 1983, it had been Porto or Benfica. It was a complete duopoly. It was like Scottish football. There was that one blip, and then it went back to normal. Porto or Benfica, Porto or Benfica. Winning the title with Sporting was largely seen as an impossible task. This is his, remember, first full season managing a club at senior level. And he wins the title. And he almost went unbeaten. They lost their second to last game, but they already had the title won. 34 games played, 26 wins, 7 draws, 1 defeat. Playing high-level attacking football and maintaining the best defence in the league. Playing a 3-4-2-1 that was fairly spectacular. Rolling to last season, they finished second. Six points behind Porto. 11 points clear of Benfica. Again, great attacking football, really strong defensively. Only 23 goals conceded in 34 games, second best in the division. This guy, think Graham Potter's brand of football, but with more risk involved, with a faster transition 
system in place. This guy plays some of the best football you'll see in Europe. His team are a joy to watch. Now, they got walloped by City last year. Everybody remembers that in the last 16 of the Champions League. But they got out of a tough group. They beat Dortmund twice to get out of a tough group. They did lose to Ajax. And they, no, they beat, Dortmund, they beat Dortmund once, maybe. I think they beat Dortmund once and they beat Besiktas twice. It was a tough group. They got out of that group. They got into the round of 16. That was a hell of an achievement. They'd lost a couple of important players. This summer, they've lost a couple more important players. Matthias Nunes and Paulinha. Both of them owe their station now to him. Paulinha had largely been written off by Sporting, had been sent on loan to Braga, and it was under his watch that Paulinha really started to blossom at Braga. Nunes had the talent. He found the best use for him, and Nunes blossomed there. The two of them together in that first season were one of the better midfield tandems in Europe. Last season, they were outstanding as well. Nunes had a bit of a dip, and Manuel Ugarte, the young uh, Uruguayan, he got into the team and played really well. But he was rotating those three. He had three great midfield options for his double pivot. He likes to have creativity and goals in the two behind the one. And he's experimented this season using a false nine with goal scorers behind. And it's worked quite well in recent games. I would expect he is going to be certainly talked about for top jobs very, very soon. There were reports that Chelsea approached him and that Bowley spoke to him. I don't believe them because the night that apparently happened, he was preparing and playing or overseeing a European Cup game. There's no way he took a phone call from Todd Bowley on that day. But this guy is one of the best young managers in the world. This is a big test for him tonight up against Conte. It's also a big test for Spurs, though, because Sporting, they attack in droves. And when they get their opportunities, they really can carve teams apart. They move the ball super quick. Those wing-backs get high and wide and provide really good service into the box. That'll be a fun game. I think that's the game to watch of the early kickoffs. At 8pm, we get Leverkusen versus Atleti. Leverkusen have had a disastrous start to the season. Things are not going well. They are getting their players back, or they have most of them back. Now, it is basically just Florian Wirtz who's out injured. But Sione needs to turn things around quite quickly. He's a really promising young manager. But this could be a big knock on his development if things continue to go bad at Leverkusen and they were to decide to move on from. I don't think they will. I think they'll be patient. I think they'll look at the fact that last season he took over and exceeded all expectations, uh, had them finishing third. So, you know... I don't think anyone expected them to get the European Cup spot last year. They did. I think they'll be patient, but he needs to turn it around quite soon. Now, the thing is, the Bundesliga is so condensed at the bottom that one win could send them as high as 12th or 13th if results elsewhere went their way. But it needs to start happening soon for him. He has the talent 
on the pitch. There's no doubting the squad that they've put together is really good. I think he needs to just bin off Jonathan Thar and commit to playing Kasunu and Tapsapa as a pair, Frimpong and Hinkape as his fullbacks. Go with that. And I genuinely do think that team can take off. Wouldn't be a fan of the keeper, but it is what it is. Atleti, they've not had the best start to the season either, uh, but they did win 4-1 at the weekend, which uh, I think they'll be very, very happy about. But they are seventh in um, in La Liga. Three wins, one draw, one defeat. It's not ideal for Simeone. Things do appear to be a little bit stale there. Um. They beat Porto in a mad game last week and um, they'll be hoping to pick up another win here, but I'm, I'm sort of hoping for a Leverkusen victory myself. I, I wonder if this might be Simeone's last season. This is another one, though, where it is a great young coach in Gerardo Sione, who's I'm really impressed with anyway. I really liked what he did with young boys in Switzerland. Um... I haven't really enjoyed his Leverkusen team since he's been there. He's only 43, and he is certainly a manager who, in the summer, his stock was at an all-time high. He will need to turn this around and get himself out of a bit of a hole. It's probably the first time in his managerial career that he's come under real criticism like he was manager of Luzerne for half a year did really well got the young boys job won three league titles in a row and then went on to Leverkusen had a really good first season this is probably the first time he's had a a questionable period as a manager and he needs to sort it out and like I said Simeone for me he's one of the top four in the game as well so um, should be an interesting battle. Marseille against Eintracht Frankfurt. Marseille have had a really good start to the season. They're second in the French league, level on points with PSG. Whereas it's been a fairly disappointing start for Frankfurt. Uh, they sit eleventh of eighteen in the Bundesliga. They got destroyed last week, um, by Sporting. Marseille obviously lost to Spurs uh, in a bit of a controversial game with the sending off and that, but Marseille will be heavy favourites at home in the form they're in. You'd have to pick Marseille. Uh, Porto versus Club Bruges. Porto started the domestic season fairly well, but they are only third in the league. Now, they're only three points behind Benfica. Um, one defeat thus far. That came to Rio Ave, which was a surprising result. Uh, Rio Ave wouldn't be one of the, the giants of Portuguese football by any stretch, but you'd imagine Conceição gets things figured out. They'll be favourites to retain their title again this year. Uh, Club Bruges, they're third in Belgium. They are five points behind Antwerp, but they've won five games in a row in the league. Uh, at the weekend there, they beat Sirang 2-0. Kyle Laren, the Canadian international, and Hans Vanigan, the one that was linked to West Ham uh, for the last couple of months, 
they got the goals. They won their first game. They beat Leverkusen 1-0 last week, uh, a game that Leverkusen will likely want to forget. I think you'd have to back Porto being the home team in that one. Liverpool versus Ajax is European royalty. Two of the great clubs, 10 European Cups between them. Liverpool in really poor form. Ajax in terrifying form, if you're a Liverpool fan. Should be an exciting game. Liverpool missing a couple of players. Um, Naby Keita, Ibu Kanate being the kind of key to the missing. But Henderson's out, Robertson's out. Keller, Kelleher's out. <clears throat> um, who else are they missing? Curtis Jones is out. Oxley Chamberlain is out. There's a there's a bunch of players injured. There's a bunch of players injured. Um, whereas for Ajax, they're going to be close to full strength. Uh, Owen Windell is the kind of the only likely starter that they're missing. Uh, but Daily Blind will will slot in there at left back, you'd imagine, and. Uh, They'll be fun to watch. Now, I went over them a bit more on the Daily Red. There are some holes in that team that can be exploited. And if Liverpool play close to what they're capable of, they will win that game because they're just a better team than Ajax. Ajax are just in very good form at the moment. Um, the marquee game of the night and probably the mark of, no, definitely the marquee game of this Champions League week is Bayern versus Barcelona. Again, this is European royalty. Bayern, six times winners. Barca, five time winners. No matter where you go on the planet, everybody knows who these two clubs are. The two of the five biggest clubs in the world. Huge fan bases, huge brands, great histories. They played last year. Bayern wiped the floor with them twice. This year will be will be different, I think. I still think Bayern will win. But Barca will be a much bigger test because obviously they've added a bunch of players. Lewandowski from Bayern. Kunde, Rafinha, Cassie, Christensen. So you'd expect them to be a lot stronger. They've also got Xavi now, who I'm still not sold on. But he's certainly a better fit than Ronald Koeman was. And with Dembele signed on and looking motivated and looking like the player they thought they were buying from Dortmund five years ago with Ansu Fati back fit with Gavi and Pedri in midfield and Frankie de Jong as an option and Busquets and so on and so forth. They're a formidable unit going forward. Defensively, I have some question marks. I don't really rate the fullbacks. Busquets is, I'm the biggest Busquets fan in the world, but he is well past his best. And defensively, he is struggling a little bit when people just run by him. And Marc-Andre Ter Stegen had some really poor form over the past two seasons. Seems better this season. Seems more like himself, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, they have started quite well in La Liga. They drew the first game, but won four in a row since. They're two points behind Real Madrid. Uh, last time out, obviously, they gave uh, Victoria Pleasant a bit of a hiding 5-1 at the Camp Nou. 
Bayern beat Inter last time out. Bayern haven't started the season as well as expected. Um, they haven't won any of their last three league games. They're third in the Bundesliga, but they're only two points off top. So it's not like it's panic stations or anything yet. They obviously had a lot of turnover in the summer. Lewandowski went out, but they signed quality players. Mane, Gravenberch, Mazraoui, Matthias Tell, and Matthias Delict. Um not sure Nagelsman quite knows what his best team is yet. And I think that's something that he's going to need to settle on. One of the knocks on him that I would have, I think a lot of people have, is that he's too quick to change things when things don't go well. And he doesn't really have seem to have a set formation that he a go to. Like he juggles between three or four different sets. I'm not always sure that's the best approach, but he's clearly a very, very good young coach. And Byron won the league last year under him, so you know he'll stick two fingers up to the doubters, even though Byron win the league every year. Um, I expect Byron to win this game, given it's at the Alliance Arena, but I think it should be a should be a fairly good game. So those are what we have tonight. Eight games, sorry, seven games. And to be totally honest, there's at least one, two, three that I think are absolutely worth watching if your team isn't playing tonight. So if you're a United fan or an Arsenal fan or a Chelsea fan or whatever, um, and you don't want to watch Liverpool. I think you could watch Sporting versus Tottenham in the early kickoff. I think Bayern versus Barca is is most watched because of the, the the clubs involved. And I do think Leverkusen versus Atleti is worth watching just to see how Atleti how Leverkusen respond to how poor their start to the season has been. Uh, at that, I will take a break, and when we come back, fun little exercise. I'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So, saw a tweet yesterday from Sachin Nakrani, who writes for The Guardian. He's one of the editors there at The Guardian. And his suggestion, because of fixture congestion, was that a major backlog is coming. So how about this? Domestic football continues during the World Cup, a la Rugby Union during the Autumn Internationals. Clubs who lose players to the World Club, World Cup Put out the reserves or kids. Heroes will be born and we get loads of wild results. I, for one, am in. I'm in as well. I'm in as well. I think it could be interesting. Now, obviously, it will hamper the bigger clubs more than some of the smaller clubs because they'll have more players at the World Cup. Let's look at Arsenal as an example of how this would work. So Arsenal would lose Aaron Ramsdale. He will likely be in the the England squad. Uh, ben White might well be in the England squad. Thomas Partey will definitely be in the Ghanaian squad. 
But Kyle Saka will almost certainly be in the English squad. I would imagine Gabriel Jesus goes with Brazil. Martinelli might go and Gabriel, the centre-back, might go. Saliba looks likely to be in the French squad. Uh, Tomiyasu will obviously go with Japan. Moel Nenny won't have to go anywhere. So he is now starting midfielder. Um, Granite Jacket will be gone with Switzerland. So that obviously helps them. So that's who they lose. Now, there's not a bad team left behind. Matt Turner in goal. Let's say White doesn't make the cut for England because in truth he shouldn't because he's not first-choice centre-back for his club and he's not good enough at right-back to make the England squad. So let's say White stays. So you get White, you get Tierney. They're your full-backs. You've got Rob Holding and Gabriel probably doesn't make the Brazil squad. So they're your centre-backs. Uh, in midfield, Odegaard and Zinchenko stay behind, as does El Elneny. Laconga won't make the Belgium squad. So you're, you've got a decent midfield. Fabio Vieira, in all likelihood, doesn't make the Portugal squad. So you're going to be fairly okay in midfield. Up front is where they have issue. Eddie and Katia won't make the England squad, so he'll be there. Uh, Reese Nelson won't make the England squad, so he'll be there. And Emile Smith-Rowe won't make the England squad, so he'll be there. So their issue will be up front. But, I mean, that's still a team capable of getting a result in some Premier League games, in my opinion. What about Aston Villa then? Who will they lose? So Emmy Martinez will go with Argentina. Uh, Matty Cash will go with Poland. Diego Carlos, if fit. No, Diego Carlos is going to be injured regardless. And to be fair, he's never been capped by Brazil, but I, I did think this move was going to be a springboard from, but he won't go anyway. Esri Conza won't go. Tyron Mings probably will go. Douglas Louise probably won't go. John McGinn won't be going anywhere. Morgan Sanson won't be going anywhere. Emmy Buendia is a possibility. Ollie Watkins is a possibility. Bednarak would be gone. Um, Luca Dinia most likely makes the French squad. Then Donker will probably make the Belgian squad. And that's it for them. So they would have. Robin Olsen in goal. Ashley Young right back. Konza and Callum Chambers at centre-back, I suppose. Augustinson left back. The only other one that could make it is maybe Jacob Ramsey, but I still think it'll come too early for him. So the midfield will largely be their first choice midfield. Um, although, sorry, no, I'm wrong. There is one other player who will make it. In all likelihood, Bubakar Kamara will make the French squad. So he'll be gone. But Marvelous Nakamba can slot in for him for a few games. It'll be fine. Um, I think up front, Watkins probably doesn't make the cut. But I think Buendia will. Bailey won't be going anywhere because obviously Jamaica didn't qualify. Um 
and you've got Ings. So it's a pretty strong team. It's a pretty strong team. It's a team capable of getting some results in the league. So no reason not to do it for them. Bournemouth. Um, I mean, Chris Metham will be gone. David Brooks probably won't be ready in time. Kiefer Moore will probably be gone. Philip Billing might be gone. He's got two caps, but he should have a lot more. If Travers in goal, you'd have Adam Smith right back. You would have, I would guess you would just keep Lloyd Kelly at left back. I don't think Sinisi will make the Argentine squad. So Sinisi, and let's just say they finally give an option or an opportunity, I should say, to James Hill at centre-back. Uh, midfield, you'll have Lerma, you'll have Brooks, you'll have Lewis Cook, you'll have Ryan Christie, you'll be... Fine, you'll have basically all your midfielders. Um, and up front, you'd still have Solanke. And I, I think they'd be fine. Like, they're not going to lose much. Metham isn't very good. And Kiefer Moore is not going to be a starter for them, you'd imagine. Because he's not very good either. So they'd be all right. They wouldn't really miss anything. Uh, what about Brentford then? They'll lose a few, for sure. Uh, but Rhea, Hickey, Rico Henry, they'll still be there. Pinnock will still be there. Christian Norgard probably goes with Denmark. I think that's fair to say. Be surprised if he wasn't in the squad. Canos, I don't think Jensen will make the Danish squad. Maybe he will. He's been fairly regularly in it for the last couple of years. So, yeah, maybe he goes as well. Um. Ivan Tony might make the England squad. And if he doesn't, he should immediately turn around and declare for Jamaica. Um, Ayer will still be there. Strakosh will still be there. Lewis Potter. Damsgaard will be gone. So they'd lose the three, the three Danes. And that's probably it. That's probably all they'll lose. So they'd have Rhea. They'd have their normal back four. So they'd be fine. Uh, in midfield, they could go Josh De Silva... Frank Onyeka and Vitali Yanold, so they'll be fine. And then they'll have the normal attack. So Brentford will be fine. Brighton. Robert Sanchez, there is a chance he goes with Spain. Not sure why, but there is a chance. Tariq Lamptey will be gone with Ghana. There's little to no doubt there. Um, Webster, Duncan, Caldwell won't go. March won't go. Uh, Zambia didn't qualify. Some Wepu won't go. They lose probably Alexis McAllister, Leandro Trossard, Jakob Moder, Moises Casado, and Purvis Estupinen. Now there is some talk that Ecuador could be thrown out. Um. Which 
you know, not, not ideal, not ideal at all. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. Their issue is going to be in goal because Jason Steele's not very good. I don't know anything about Tom McGill, to be totally honest. Um, they they could, I suppose, recall Kjell Sherpin. The, the leagues would have to make some allowance that they could recall players on loan, so they could bring him back. Um, but, I mean, Solly March at wing-back on one side... Uh, a Sarmiento probably makes the Ecuador squad as well if he's fit, doesn't he? Um, Sonny March one side, and I suppose I don't even know who'd play the other side. Brighton might have problems. Centre backs, they'll be all right. They could go to a back four. Play Colwell left back, Duncan Webster in the centre, and Veltman at right back. That wouldn't be too bad. Um, they do have Kozlowski and Karbownik out on loan. Now, Kozlowski might well go in that Poland squad. I was really hoping they wouldn't loan him. I really wanted to see him play in the Premier League this year. Up front, they'd still have Welbeck. They'd still have Undav. Uh, they still have Nciso. So they'd be fine in attack. Midfield, they would have Billy Gilmore, Enoch Mwepu, and Solly March in a three. It's not great, but it's okay. Still have Pascal Grouse. They'd be okay. They'd be okay. It wouldn't be great, but it would be okay. Uh, what about Chelsea then? They'll likely lose uh, a bunch of players. So Kepp will be there because he's not getting called up. Um, Jorginho won't have to go because obviously Italy didn't qualify. Thiago Silva probably gets called up. That helps them. Kante gets called up. Uh, Kovacic gets called up. Oba will be there, so that's fine. Pulisic gets called up. Loftus-Cheek, Bettinelli and Chalab will be there. Mendy will be gone. Sterling will be gone. Brohi will be there. Mount will be gone. I assume Chilwell will be gone. So will Zakaria. Um, Hakim Ziyech should be gone. I don't think Gallagher gets called up. Reese James will be gone. Koulibaly would be gone. Aspie, I, I don't know whether he gets called up. Kai gets called up for sure. Carney won't. Cucurella should. But he's only got one cap, so maybe he won't. And I don't think Fafana will. I don't think Fafana will be called up at this point. So, left behind, you've got... Uh, Fafana and Chalaba as your centre-backs. You've got Cucurella as your left-back. They do have a really strong academy, so I'm sure there is a right-back there they could call upon. Or they could recall Dujan Sterling from his loan, uh, which is probably what you'd have to do. Uh, Gallagher in midfield. Jorginho in midfield. Yeah, Chelsea might be buggered. <laughs> uh, they'd have Broya up front, Aubameyang up front. Olofus Cheek could be the third midfielder for certain. Broya, Gallagher. Uh, Broya, Aubameyang, and maybe play Carney as a 10 in behind them. It, it's not a bad at starting 11, 
other than that right back issue. But they've got loads of young players that they could call upon. And I mean, they've got so many players out on loan. Two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven, thirteen, fifteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty-one. They've got twenty-two players out on loan. So I mean they'd have nobody to blame other than themselves. And had this been done or announced beforehand, they yeah, Chelsea would have been fine. Uh Crystal Palace. I'm not sure they'll lose many Crystal Palace. Butland won't be. Ward won't be. I don't think Mitchell will make the England squad. Um Milivojevic, I don't think he's in the Serbian squad anymore. Tompkins won't. Gwehi probably won't actually make the England squad. At least they won't make the French squad. Ayu will be gone. Eze, they won't make the England squad. Zaha, uh, Ivory Coast didn't qualify, so he'll be there. Gaetz will be there. Mateta will be there. Schlupp, probably gone. Joachim Manderson almost certainly gone. Though, surprisingly, he only has 17 caps. And... Almost all of them have come in the last two years. He only had one cap at the age of 24. Bizarre management by um, by Hulmond. But he's become more regular, so he'll be gone. Uh, Klein, MacArthur, Hughes, Johnston, Edward, Bowie. They'll all be there. Dekure will be there because Mali didn't qualify. Chris Richards would be gone. They'd have a close to full strength eleven. I don't think Sam Johnson makes the England squad, so he'll be in goal. Uh, you've still got all your normal right-backs and Mitchell. So you go with... It would have to be Tompkins next to Gwehi. It's not ideal, but it is what it is. Uh, your midfield, you probably go with Will Hughes, Dekure and Eze, and then Olise Mateta, at least in Mateta and Zaha from three, pretty strong, pretty strong for being fair. Uh, I think they'd be okay in, in this scenario. Uh, Everton, Pickford will be gone. Don't think Tarkovsky will. Patterson, Scotland didn't qualify. Holgate and Keane won't make the England squad. Alan won't make the Brazil squad. Amadou Onana probably will make the Belgium squad. Calvert-Lewin, if fit, I think will make the England squad, but I'm just going to say he's not going to be fit because it's Calvert-Lewin. Um, Anthony Gray won't make the England squad. Neither will Demary Gray. Columbia didn't qualify, so Mina stays home. Who else? Abdullah de Curry, they didn't qualify. Nigeria didn't qualify. Ukraine didn't qualify. Neil Mopé's not making the French squad. Uh, Idrissa Ganagay will be gone with Senegal. They'll have a close full team. Actually, one thing of note with Everton... Alden Yakupovic, uh, formerly of Leicester, he has joined Everton on an emergency kind of short-term thing because of the injury to Pickford. Uh, so they would have Begovic in goal, Patterson, Tarkovsky, Connor Cody's probably gone. So Patterson, Tarkovsky, Mina, and uh, Michael Enko is a back four. Midfield, Tom Davies, Alan, Tom Davies, Alan, 
No, you'd probably go Decure, a lot Decure Davies and Iwobi. Just get pace and movement in there. And up front they'll be okay. It'll be Mope. It'll be you could go Mope the two wingers if Calvert Lewin gets called up. You know, either McNeil, Gordon, or Gray. Two from those three, either side of Mope. Um, so if Calvert Lewin goes, so they'd be okay. Everton would be okay. Um, and that's even with eight players out on loan, as they have. Fulham, they're screwed because Mitrovic is gone. So um, Roddick will be there because his team didn't qualify. Kenny Tete probably doesn't get called up. Kurzawa won't get called up. Adera Bio won't get called up. Uh, Ireland didn't make it. Um, Congo didn't make it. Harry Wilson would be gone. Mitrovic definitely gone. I don't know if Tim Ream makes the American squad. He, he shouldn't, but he might. Uh, Bernard Leno probably won't make the German squad. Pereira won't make the Brazil squad. Dan James is 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 gone. Uh, Paulinho would be gone. Mbappu's gone. And Anthony Robinson's gone. So you go Leno, Tete, Kurzawa, they're your fullbacks. Tosin and Issa Diop at centre back. Midfield, Chalaba and Harrison Reed as your double pivot. Pereira. I suppose D Cordova Reed and Cabano as the wingers. And then up front you've got Carlos Vinicius. So it wouldn't be too bad. Like you're losing your best player, obviously, in Mitrovic, but you've still got a decent enough group left. And again, like they have eight players out on loan. Um Leeds. Melier won't make it. So you'd have Melier. You probably won't have Rasmus Christensen. He's just been called up to the Danish squad. Again, I don't know how he only has eight caps because he's really good. Really good. Like The Danes could have a really strong back five if they weren't still beholden to some of the older players. But if you go Joachim Manderson and Andreas Christensen and Victor Nelson as a three-centre-back set, with Joachim Moll as a left wing back and uh, Rasmus Christensen as a right wing back, that's really, really strong. Go Heusberg, Eriksson plus one in midfield, maybe Damsgaard, Heusberg, Eriksson, Damsgaard. Up front is where you might have a bit of an issue. Um, unless. Skov Olsen or Skov really kicks on and they've been a bit disappointing so far. Jonas Wind is an option. Casper Dahlberg, if he could find his best form, would obviously be the ideal for them. But it's a decent team. Like It is a decent team that you could put together with the Danish squad. And a young team that you could build with as well. I mean, the only player I mentioned there over the age of 27 is Eriksson. And he's only 30. So not like he's years past or anything. Um, anyway. 
So yeah, he'd be gone. So at right back, I'd probably play Cody Drama. So I think he's better than Luke Ayling. Uh your junior Firpo won't get called up, neither in all likelihood with the Diego Oriente might. Depends how short they are at centre back. He probably won't. Him and Cock be there, so that'll be fine. Uh Roca won't get called up. Tyler Adams will, so will Brendan Aronson. So you're gonna have to fill those voids. The best course of action is probably Rodrigo as the 10 behind Bamford as the 9, Sinistera and Nanto on the wings and move Jack Harrison back into central midfield. It's probably your best option. Leeds have 10 players out on loan now. A lot of them are kids, but still 10 players out on loan. Um, right, that's half. You know, I'll leave it there for now. And I'll do the other half tomorrow. We'll carry on with this exercise. Just listen. I'm struggling for time here. So we'll uh, we'll do Leicester, Liverpool, City, United, Newcastle, Forest, Southampton, Tottenham, West Ham, and Wolves tomorrow. And uh, we will do the gossip now and get ourselves wrapped up for the day. Anything else on the BBC website before we hit that? Uh, yeah, Hillsborough Group have asked for uh, Liverpool fans to respect the period of silence before tonight's game. I really, really hope they do. Uh, there are three Premier League games called off this weekend. Um, Chelsea versus Liverpool. Man United versus Leeds. I'm not really sure why that one's called off. And Brighton versus Palace. That one was already called off because of the uh, the rail strikes, so um, which I assume are not going ahead now, given the weekend that's in it. But maybe they will. Um, Arsenal versus PSV Eindhoven on Thursday night off, also off in case you'd missed that one. Right, gossip. Cristiano turned down two hundred and eleven million a year in wages to play for an unnamed club in Saudi Arabia, but he is now reconsidering the offer. £211 a year. Like, Messi at Barcelona was earning £100 a year. That is obnoxious, but I'm not going to lie. I think everybody should take that money if it's there. Harry Kane is tempted by the idea of playing for Bayern Munich. Go away with the Harry Kane to Bayern Munich nonsense. N'Golo Kante has refused a new two-year deal from Chelsea. He wants a three-year deal. I think Chelsea might be best to thank him for his great, great service and let him go. At his age with the injury issues, I think it would be a mistake to give him a three-year deal. England pair, Marcus Rashford and Luke Shaw, plus... David De Gea, Diogo Delo, and Fred could all leave Manchester United as free agents next June when their contracts end. But the club can trigger a clause extending all of the deals by one year. And the club will trigger that clause on all of them because they're not going to let those players leave for free. Um, Manchester City's new centre-back, Manuel Ikanji, uh, who joined in September from Borussia Dortmund, 15 million has admitted he supported Manchester United as a child. 
Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta wants to sell wants to send Marquinhos on loan to gain more regular game time and is keen to bring in a short term replacement. I mean, just work with the player you have. What is it with him? He just can't, he can't work with anybody that's not ready made. RB Leipzig turned down a bid from Chelsea for Josco Guardiol as they were convinced many other clubs will join the race to sign him next summer, including Manchester City. I'd watch Spurs. I think Spurs are the team that will go big for him. Um, Spain midfielder Gavi could sign his contract with Barcelona this week, which would include a 1 billion euro release clause. It's just such, it's the anti-PSG clause really, isn't it? Manchester United believe their chances of signing Frankie de Jong were hit by their own indecisiveness, not the fact that he turned them down 19 times. Benfica president believes the 64 million Liverpool played up front for Darwin Nunes justified the decision to let him leave the club. I don't think they paid the whole thing up front. Maybe they did. Belgian striker Divock Origi, who joined AC Milan from Liverpool in the summer, has been branded the worst Serie A signing of the summer by some absolute helmet. Uh, Thierry Henry has praised following Balogun for his decision to join Reims on loan from Arsenal. He has already scored five goals and seven appearances. Uh, I think the USA should be looking to call him up. He's American-born. And I really do think the US should be looking to call him up. He's born in New York, moved to England at two. He can also play for Nigeria. I think the US and Nigeria should be really hammering in to try and get him. He's a massive talent. A massive, massive talent. He did play for the US under 18 team. I think they should be trying to get him. Manchester United technical director Darren Fletcher was keen to sign Nathan Collins from Burnley, but the United boss instead opted for Lissandra Martinez. This sounds like something that was made up, to be honest. Uh, Brighton chief executive Billy Gilmore says it is not ideal for Billy Gilmore. Sorry, Brighton chief executive Paul Barber said the situation is not ideal for Billy Gilmore after he moved to the Amex from Chelsea on deadline day, ostensibly to play for Graham Potter before Potter turned around and joined Chelsea. Uh, apparently Thomas Tuchel told him that he was never going to play for Chelsea and he should just leave. Um, I now present to you, before I finish, the funniest or weirdest transfer saga of the summer. So, Raul de Thomas, who's a very good striker, came through the Real Madrid Academy, had some loans at Cordoba, via the Lid, where he did quite well, and Rayo Vallecano, where he did very, very well, and really made his name, um, before a failed move to Benfica, led him to Espanyol, where he has really established himself as one of the, the better strikers in Spain, or the better, better Spanish strikers in Spain. Um, 23 goals in 37 games in his first season, helped them get promoted, and then last season scored 17 
in 34 uh, to you know keep them in the division and they did have a decent enough season he decided he wanted to leave and tried to force a move for a substantial period of the summer it was linked to a number of clubs I thought a couple of Premier League clubs would have done well to look at him including Leeds um, he wants to make the Spain squad for the World Cup and he's got four caps over the last two years so he has been in and around the squad and he really wanted his move. He wanted to move to a bigger club. And he wanted more money and whatever else. Because obviously when he joined Espanyol in the second division, he got a second division contract. And he didn't feel like he was being respected. So um, he spent all summer trying to force a move. And didn't. And he angered. And I'm using the word angered because the other words I probably can't say. Uh, Diego Martinez, who is the manager of Espanyol, the new manager of Espanyol, uh, with his conduct, and he was banished, basically. Well, in recent days, his agent has allegedly headbutted the president of Espanyol, who turned around and said, right, if he wants to leave, he can leave now. And today, he has signed a five-year contract with Rayo Vallecano. But won't be allowed play until January, because the season has already started, the window's closed, and the registration period is over. This, in all likelihood, takes him out of contention for the World Cup. Absolutely bananas. All he had to do was bite his tongue, say he was sorry, carry on playing for Espanyol, go to the World Cup, come back, and then try and force the move. All he had to do. Instead, his likely one and only chance at the spot in the World Cup is gone. Yep. I have no idea how much Rayo Vecano have paid, but Espanyol paid 20 million euro, which was the same fee Benfica had paid the year before. So, I'd imagine they will want similar they wanted more in the summer because he's obviously developed really well over the last two years but yeah madness absolute madness only in spain right folks that'll do me for today i will see you all tomorrow take care of yourselves enjoy the football tonight and if you're a liverpool fan and you're going to the game please don't boo bye-bye Podcast Network.